Good morning, church family. I'm happy to be here, and let me just say, Larry's leaving, and his prayer is uh, beautiful, and just a reminder to our church family to keep the Rices and the Stinsons in prayer this week as they go to eastern Kentucky on a mission trip to support a, a, a town that has been devastated financially, and they're going there to support missionaries in that area to help uh, share the gospel and share the love of Jesus Christ with the inhabitants and the residents of that community. So keep the Stinsons and the Rices in your prayers this week as we as we continue to uh, appeal to our Father, uh, Jesus, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, um, secondly, I want to share with you that last night, Susan and I had the privilege of going to the Charleston County School of the Arts, where Anne-Marie is still a teacher. What are you, like 0.25 now? Is that right? She's part-time, but she also leads the middle school choir. And it was just a joy to go and watch those young people, both at the middle school and the high school, to sing gospel music. At a Charleston County school, they sang gospel music, praising the Lord. These children were singing. It was beautiful. They were singing hymns of old. They were singing black spiritual songs. They were singing hymns of current. And it's just been amazing experience. And our own Evie uh, Turner and Isla McBroom were there. They were singing. And Anne-Marie led that middle school. So what a joy it was to see uh, these young people uh, lift up the name of Jesus Christ in a public school. So there's, we have hope. Like, yeah, we still have hope, right? We still have hope uh, that these young people can praise the Lord. So I want to invite us to turn to Ephesians chapter uh, 3. Uh, and we're going to be on the latter part of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. That is in uh, on page 1135 in your pew Bible. And of course, you know, my encouragement to all of us is to bring your Bible every single week. Make it a daily or a weekly, uh, you know, habit for you to bring your copy of the Word of God. It is a way for you to connect uh, with God's Word as we as we walk through these passages. Um, and so, um, if you will, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, this is your word. Oh, Father, help us to 
internalize it, let it peel away the layers of our heart to get to the very core of our being. That, Lord, our desire is to know you more fully and to reflect and manifest your glory to the world around us. Oh, Lord, this morning, may we walk out of this place seeking only to glorify you in everything we do, every word we say, every action we take. May we be a reflection of your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy, and your grace to everyone we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I say this often, but this feels like it's a high watermark passage of scripture here. As we've seen in Ephesians, the whole theme of Ephesians is united in Christ. That Jesus Christ has come to unite all of those who would believe in him into one body. Paid for. Their, 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 their salvation was paid for by one blood. And that we are forming, we are building a new building in God. That this is a building, a house, an assembly, a family of God coming together. And worshiping here in this place, there's power as we sing praises to him, as we pray, as we read his word, as we study his word, we draw closer to him and we draw closer to one another. When we do that, we become this family that God had intended from the very beginning, that we would be glorifiers of him in his heavenly realm, the glory of God. And so this morning, as we dig through this passage, I just encourage all of us to think about how we can glorify God in our lives. Uh, all the songs we sang this morning reflect this idea that God lives in us and he desires for his glory to shine out from us. And so this morning we see here Paul in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now think about this. This is the Apostle Paul. In his posture, his posture is to get down on his knees. This is a posture of submission, of surrender, of a bowing the knee. Now, I'm not saying that all of us who are Christians, this is the prescriptive way to pray, because in the Bible, it actually gives us many ways, in many postures that people use to pray. Some stand with their eyes towards heaven open. Others bow their knee and they're in a closet. They're in a place that is cut off and away from everyone else. Others lay prostrate on the floor or on the ground before God. So there's no specific posture that we must employ to be prescriptive from Scripture. But this is what the key is, is that all of us should incline or bow our heart to God in prayer. And this is Paul's emphasis. And let me remind us, Paul's other letter to the Philippians he says at the, uh, in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that not only we who are in the kingdom currently, we bow our knee, but there's coming a day that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess Jesus as Lord to the praise and the glory of God the Father. Amen? We know that whether they want to or not, every single human being from the foundation of the world will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Our job is to tell them, start bowing now. Start bowing the knee now. And we see Paul's posture here is that in this awesome thought of God's glory, he is bowing his knees. But then he praises him. He says, you're the father. You're the father from whom all of heaven derives its name. You're the father. You're the creator. Everyone who exists would not exist if it weren't for your creative power, for your design of that person. You knit me in my inmost being, David the psalmist would say. God is the creator and every person derives its name from him. But then there's this plea. And then we get to the first part of what this passage is all about. It's about the glory of God. The glory of the Father. Look at what it says there. I pray that out of his glorious riches. Now, that's what it says in the NIV. Most other translations talk about the riches of his glory. And I think that's a better rendering of the Greek there. The riches of his glory. And so the glory of the Father is Paul's plea. When Dylan read uh, from Moses um, chapter uh, 33 of Exodus, uh, Moses actually has the audacity to ask God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. So let me ask you a question. What is the glory of God? You know, if you had a friend of yours who was inquiring about this thing called Christianity, they said, what is the glory of God? What would you answer? How would you describe it? It seems almost difficult to wrap our minds around the glory of God, right? But we see in the scriptures there's, there's markers that help us to understand it. The first, of course, was there with Moses. He says, show me your glory. And then God says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you. All of my goodness. But I'm going to hide your face with my hand so that you will not see my face. Because if you see the fullness of my glory, you will die. I don't know about you, but that is an awesome thought for Moses to be face-to-face talking with God, not face-to-face, but talking with God and then asking him, show me your glory, and then God saying, you will die if you see all my glory. Let me ask you a question. Is that an awesome thought to you today? That God is full of glory. Let me share with you a more awesome thought that he wants that glory to shine through you. He wants his glory to shine through you. So God's glory, I would define it this way. It is the fullness of God's perfect nature and attributes manifest for the world to see. It is the perfect nature and attributes, all the attributes of God, all pulled together, the fullness of it all, 
being made manifest, and that's the glory. And God actually has three ways in which he manifests this glory. First is through creation. First is through creation. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So it's the glory, the creation. As you think about creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the entire cosmos. If you ever looked at the recent uh, images from the recent web telescope and you look out into the universe, the colors and the spectrums that are there, it, could, it will cause you to be amazed at his creative power. But even on earth, think about it. The mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the streams, the oceans, waterfalls. Sometimes when you look at a waterfall and the sun is shining through it, you'll see the rainbow. Sometimes after it rains and the sun comes out, you start to see the rainbow of God, his covenant promise with Noah and all of humankind. You see the beauty. You see trees and you see flowers and you see woods and you see the green, luscious green trees around you. That's the glory of God. And then we see the animals and, of course, ultimately we see humans. The human being is an, is an, an amazing creature. It's amazing design. It's intelligent. The human cell is a supercomputer that we, we still can't wrap our minds around how the human brain works. This is the creative power of Almighty God. He reveals his glory through his creation. In Isaiah 6, uh, you know, Isaiah, the prophet, had the privilege of seeing God's throne room. And the seraphim sang this song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You notice he didn't say the whole earth is full of his holiness. He said the whole earth is full of his glory. As he reflects on the holiness of God, he sees that holiness manifest into his glory around us. In Romans 1, we learn this, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Well, what has been made? All of creation around us. It's fully understood. We all know it. We can intuitively see that something other has created all of this. It's not us. It hasn't randomly pulled together over billions of years. No, there is an intelligent designer who is trying to reveal his glory to the world. And then it says at the end of that verse, so that people are without excuse. We're, out, we're without excuse. And so he manifests his glory in creation. That's number one. He also manifested his glory and manifests his glory in his son, Jesus Christ. In John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so we see the Son is the image of God's glory. In John 11, we see this happen again. When Lazarus dies, Jesus actually tells his disciples before he leaves to go and see Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, he says, this is to show God's glory through the Son. The reason that Lazarus is dead and the reason that I am getting ready to go raise him is to show God's glory. 
In Colossians chapter 1, we, do, we see this definition of the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You see, when Jesus was transfigured, do you remember when he was transfigured? Before the three apostles, James and John and Peter, and, and two men appeared with him, Moses and Elijah. And interestingly, Moses, the one who asked God to show him the glory, was now standing next to the king of glory, Jesus Christ. But Jesus was there, and the description that is given is that he, his face shone like the sun, and his garments were white as light. It was brilliant. You know, we see the same depiction of Jesus Christ in all his glory in Revelation chapter 1. We see it in Revelation chapter 1. And so we see that not only does creation reflect the glory of God, but his son as well. But guess what? So do all of his people. And that's the third way in which he manifests his glory. In Isaiah 43, there's this amazing verse where it says that all created humankind is designed to display God's glory. That that's one of the reasons and the main reason by which he created us, to bring him glory. And so all of humankind exists to reflect, to manifest the glory of God. But then we see also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. And so we see that the glory of the Father is manifest in creation, in the Son, and in the followers of the Son, the church. Isn't that amazing? So now we all know we are to reflect the glory of God. But then there's a second aspect of this, of the fullness of Christ, and that is the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Notice that I stop there at verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his uh, riches of his glory that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being in your inner being in the core of who you are so we all understand that whenever you and i come to christ we have a deposit given to us it is the holy spirit the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit, but let me share with you 10 purposes of the Holy Spirit, 10 functions of the Holy Spirit. I'll walk through them rather quickly, but you can go back and study as we go. First of all, he inspires. The entire word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and we, we read these words that the prophets were carried along. The writers of the, the word were carried along by the Holy Spirit because that's where the word comes from. So when you and I, we, we live by the Holy Spirit, we, we listen to the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit that lives in us is the same one that wrote the word of God. And I say this often, the reason that you can understand the deeper truths after you come to Christ, understand, everybody can understand the basics of the gospel. Everybody can understand that. And come to Christ. But once you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, now that Holy Spirit gives you really discerning wisdom and knowledge that you wouldn't know otherwise. The Holy Spirit is what imbues you with this amazing ability to understand the bigger plan, the bigger picture of God's redemptive work. You see? And so therefore, we see that the Holy Spirit inspires, but he also convicts. 
He also convicts. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. All of us, every single human being, feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the ways in which God draws us to him. Thirdly, he regenerates. When you trust Jesus Christ, when you finally believe on Jesus Christ, then guess what happens? He regenerates you. Regeneration means to make new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. You see, and all of us who have been regenerated, we, we say that you've been born again. Born again. A lot of people don't understand that, especially those who are not Christian. They'll go, what does it mean to be born again? The best way to describe it is, well, you were born physically, weren't you? Physically, you were born. Your mom gave birth to you. Well, now you're not born physically, you're born spiritually. The word literally, born again, literally means to be born from above. You have an earthly birth, but then you also have a heavenly birth. Amen? And so if you are in Christ, you have been regenerated. You've been made new. Uh, and then fourthly, he indwells us. He indwells us. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in our body. He comes to live with us. Jesus told his disciples, don't, don't fret over the fact that I'm leaving. The Comforter will come. And when he comes, he will live in you and through you so that then we can have great influence on the world. And that's what happens here. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's the one who is your daily guide. Fifthly, he gifts you. Do you know that you, as a Christian, are endowed with one or more spiritual gifts? Did you know that? Every single one of you has a spiritual gift. Now, this is different than talents or skills that you develop as a human being. No, these are spiritual gifts, whether it's the gift of prophecy, like preaching here, or the gift of teaching the word of God, or the gift of encouragement, or the gift of administration, or the gift of mercy, or the gift of helps, or the gift of giving. All of these gifts are articulated in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. You see, in Paul, and of course, there's no exhaustive list of these spiritual gifts, but all of them are imbued upon us by the Holy Spirit when we become a believer in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who gifts us. And then sixthly, he guides us. He guides us. He's the one who will help us to know where to go, what to do. When we're going in the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit convicts us and moves us back onto the path where God wants us to go. He also empowers us. He empowers us to be able to share the gospel. Many of us put so much pressure on ourselves when we go to share the gospel. We think it's all about us. I've got great news for you. Sit back and let the Holy Spirit speak for you. Sit back and let the Holy Spirit speak for you. You don't have to have all the answers. But you do have a story. You have a story of how he radically changed you. How you're a new person. And because of that, you are now a vessel by which the Holy Spirit can do its work. Understand, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God who saves. You don't save anybody. What you do is you're a willing vessel. I was talking to a Sunday school class this morning and I said, listen, the more cracks you have in your pot, the better. Because the more light there will shine through. So if you think you're not worthy to share the gospel, if you don't think you're worthy to, you don't know enough about the Bible to share with people, believe me, nobody does. But praise God, the one living inside of you does. 
And that Holy Spirit lives inside of you and empowers you to share the gospel. Uh, And then next, he sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one who refines us. The word sanctification or sanctified literally means to be made more and more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a progressive work. You're never going to arrive to the fullness of the image of Christ until glory. But each and every day, God wants you to commit yourself to his word. Commit yourself to prayer. Commit yourself to service. Commit yourself to worship. Commit yourself. And when you commit yourself and you're obedient to these disciplines of the faith, then the Holy Spirit will start to grind away this hard stuff in your life. He'll take away whatever bitterness is there or resentment or discouragement. The Holy Spirit will make you more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And then number nine, he seals you. We've read that in Ephesians 1. Isn't it wonderful that he seals you for the day of redemption? He seals you. There's nothing anybody can do to you. You are in Christ. And when you're in Christ, then your salvation is sure. You have assurance of your salvation. And you're going to be part of the family of God in heaven. And so therefore, he seals you for that day when your body is redeemed by the Father. And then finally, and this is most important for us as a church family, he unifies us. The Holy Spirit is what brings unity out of the diversity within the church. To the extent... To the extent that any church body individually orients themselves and aligns themselves to the Holy Spirit's leading, it is to that extent that that church is unified to the core. That's the key to a church that is unified is to let the Holy Spirit be the joiner. You see, we always say the Trinity, there is uh, unity and diversity in the community of the Trinity. Why? Because they are diverse. The Trinity is one in essence, but three in person. All of them have a different function, a different role. But they are, they are tri-eternal and tri-equal. That is that the Holy Trinity, hard for us to wrap our minds around, that God is one, yet three in person. But that is the cardinal teaching of Scripture. And we see it here. The Father, the Spirit, and we're getting ready to talk about the Son. They're they're co-equal and co-eternal. And they submit to one another out of the reverence for their roles. It's fascinating how that works. And guess what? We, the church, are to emulate that kind of unity in the midst of diversity. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So he empowers us. The fruit of the Spirit. Notice in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That you may display the fruit of the Spirit. Notice what I did not say. Fruits of the Spirit. Because fruits implies there's a multiple number. But here's the idea. That there are nine of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All nine of those are the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that you receive all of them in some measure. They're all available. To the extent that we allow the Holy Spirit to manifest that through us is the key. And that's what, the, that's what Paul is getting at when he says that. So we have the power of the Spirit. We have the glory of the Father. But then thirdly, we have the love 
of the Son. <laughs> Look at what it says there. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know it. The love of Christ. You know, to dwell. You know, let the, the love of Christ dwell in your hearts. Let Christ dwell in your hearts. This idea of dwell is to abide. To remain. To linger. To take up residence. To be permanent in presence. Well, that's what we want. We want Christ to dwell in our hearts richly so that we can then emulate him to the world around us. So we have Christ dwelling in our hearts, the spirit dwelling in our inner being, and the glory of God shining through us. Do you see the Trinity at work within us? You see, Jesus, of course, and you say, wait a minute, I thought when we say we receive Jesus into our hearts, that really is biblical? Look at what it says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he lives in me. And then First John 3.24, it says this. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in me. He and him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. Isn't that amazing? That's why Jesus in John chapter 15 tells his disciples, abide in me and let my word abide in you. May you be one with me even as I am one with the Father. This idea of be abiding is such a key component. Jesus Christ must take up residence in your heart and abide in you even as the Holy Spirit is in the inner being of you, of you working his work. And we see this manifest throughout all of scripture. Now we want to know how wide and great and deep and, and, and long is the love of Christ. Well, it says in Romans 5, 8 this, but God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to memorialize the men and women of our armed forces who gave the ultimate sacrifice, their lives, for the freedom of this country. We're going we're gonna to honor that Next, next Sunday, we're going to honor that. But here's a difference between the men and women who have given their lives for our country and Jesus Christ. First of all, they were defending something we already had, freedom. Jesus Christ has given us something we could never get on our own. He has given us freedom from sin. That's number one. Number two, our men and women, are di they've died for our country, our nation. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, died for the whole world. Now that's powerful because Jesus Christ has done that. I go back to what I said earlier. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord in John 15, 13, he says this, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And in 1 John three sixteen, it says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
This idea of laying down our lives is an act of service, is an act of submission, it's an act of surrender. It's a way for us to establish this relationship in such a way that it's a godly relationship, not just a human relationship. That people see God in you. Because we come to the final point here, and that's verse 19. Look at what it says. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you walked in here this morning, did you understand that all three persons of the Trinity want to take up residence in you and are resident within you? Most of us, I think, would say, well, the Holy Spirit lives in me, yes. Maybe even others would say, well, I know Christ dwells in my heart, yes. But look at what it says there, that all the fullness of God is taking up residence in you. God's, the Father's glory, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the love of Jesus Christ. When you pull all three of those together, My friends, the world will be set on fire. But you see, we let sin resist God's working power in our lives. Submit to him. What did Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry, don't worry about all the temporal things of this life. Worry and work to let his glory shine through you. Let his power work through you. Let his love work its way through you and out to a world that so desperately needs to know what love is. And when that happens, you will see the power of God like you've never seen it before. How many of us in this room this morning are ready to let the full measure of God pour out from us this week? Pour out from us. Love them with mercy. Show them grace. Give them love. Serve them unconditionally. Give them a reason to believe that there is hope for them. They are cracked pots like you and I, but let the light shine out. In that choir performance of the middle school and high school last night, I heard them sing that song that we all love to sing. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, here's my hope for this church family, that we will all go out from here and we will let our little light shine. Will you let it shine to this morning? Will you let the love of Christ shine this morning? That was a weak amen. Will you let the love of Christ shine out this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. It is awesome that you, the creator of the universe, want to work through us. Sinful, sometimes fickle believers in Christ, people who really don't have it all figured out. But we know we're forgiven. 
We know we're your children. We know that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that, the, that Christ himself dwells in our hearts, and that God the Father wants his glory to shine through. Oh, Lord, I pray that even in the cracks of our pots, we will allow that glory to shine through. Because people can relate to people who are struggling in life. And it's wonderful that we, the church, have this amazing responsibility and privilege to share your love with those around us. Oh, Lord, help us to glorify you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.